God bless you. Good to see you all. Sounds like you all are having a good week. One day at a time, right? One moment at a time. Go ahead and open our, uh, please let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel, chapter 13, verse 23. You've come as far as verse 23. Last we left off, and we'll kind of look back at uh, verse 21. We read about just a terrible, terrible, disgusting tragedy in that Amnon decided he was going to do things his way. And he wasn't going to honor God, and he wasn't going to listen to good and wise counsel, right? He listened to uh, Jonadab back in verse 3, which we're told he was a very crafty man, right? We read in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. it tells us to be careful about the counsel we keep or the counsel we get or the, you know, the company we keep that way. We ought to be really careful of those things. And... Uh, you know, David ends up hearing in verse 21 about his daughter, Tamar, and what had happened, and effectively she was raped. And, you know, I just can't even imagine what he was, as a father, thinking about so disgusted, especially from his son that way, Amnon, who was the half-brother of Tamar and Absalom, who was her sister that way. So as we look there, it says that David was very angry. But David didn't do anything about it, did he? He didn't, he didn't stop in obedience. I mean, this was a capital crime, right? Leviticus told us this was a capital crime. It should have been brought before um, the judges. It should have been brought before those that would have been the magistrates. And if God chose to show favor and grace, he would have certainly have done that. But David took things into his own hands, or should I say he didn't do anything about it. He certainly knew the law, but he didn't carry it out. And I know this is hard because certainly it's his daughter, and you think, well, Amnon, well, you know, he'd turn his own son in that way. But it's a constant struggle of David's life. He struggled with the flesh. He struggled with lust. And then he also struggled with obedience. And those things seem to go hand in hand, don't they? They really do. They seem to go hand in hand. And in verse 22, we read, and Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Again, speaking of the rape. It would have been right for David to go and handle this biblically with his son, to do the right thing in righteousness. But these things are hard, aren't they? They're hard when they're involving family. It should be easy, you think, but that's still his son, and that's his daughter. So let's just bow our heads and just ask God to show us those things in our lives where maybe we don't even recognize where we have compromised. And maybe we have shown favoritism or, or done something like that because of being respecters of persons, or, or I don't know tonight what God wants to say in that regard, but, but I know we have to be very careful in our walk with Christ that we don't commit these same atrocities, these same examples. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we come with humble hearts. Jesus, we, we pray that you will Show us these things, these lessons, and God, I pray you would protect even this flock here. Nothing like this would ever be done, Lord. 
with your people. And, and Lord, I pray for those that have had abuse, and whether it was physical or mental or spiritual or sexual, Lord. God, I pray for your daughters and your sons right now that they would, they would continue to receive your perfect peace and healing. I pray, God, that we would not be respecters of persons. We wouldn't compromise. Lord, the means never justify the end. And I pray in humility, Lord, you show us those areas of our hearts that, Lord, we may need to, uh, to confess before you. We may need to bring before you. We may need, uh, Lord, to be poured out as a drink offering. Have our hearts enlarged and filled anew by you, Jesus. Lord, we pray you'll do that work in us tonight. Have your way in us, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your holy name. And all God's people prayed. Amen. So we'll pick up in verse 23 here. It's just as God said, you know, it's, as we look at this, it just reminds me back to the sin and everything that in chapter 12 God had really prophesied in those verses of uh, 7 through 13 when he said, David, the sword's never going to leave your house that way. What you measure out will be measured back onto you. And that's exactly what he had told Joab, wasn't it? In the earlier chapters when Joab had murdered another general. It wasn't self-defense as when the general had killed Joab's brother. But um, it's just a good reminder that we always need to be on guard. We always need to be ready. We need to be surrendered that way. And it came to pass after two years that Absalom had sheep bearers in Baal, Hazar, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. So you understand what that's saying? Think of what a harvest is for those that would be farmers, they would plant. This effectively is ranchers. They would have an annual celebration, just like they would have an annual celebration for the farming. When they were going to take the harvest, they would all get together because they were all going to partake of the harvest and the spoils of the harvest, the money that would have been collected. They would, it would have been a wonderful time of celebration. Well, the same thing happened with the uh, ranchers that way. They would gather together. And so this seems like a normal event. Two years has passed by, but Absalom's never forgotten about it. He's never forgotten about it because his dad never did anything about it. It turned around and it kept festering. And because Absalom didn't bring it to the Lord and deal with it, he began to become bitter. And he began to turn around and be consumed by this. And so he takes liberty at this time when he knows it makes sense that they're all going to get together. Nobody's going to make an accusation of why would we have a party or why would we get together that way. It's, it's normal and fitting. And Absalom's going to try to take things into his own hand. And what has God warned us and told us over and over again in Scripture? Vengeance is the Lord's. Then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note, your servant has sheep bearers. Please let the king and his servants go up with your servant. But the king said, he's talking to David, okay, here. He's talking to his dad. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go down, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, 
But he would not go, and he blessed him. He said, David says, no, son, I, I love what you want to do, but this is too much for you, Absalom. All of the family coming down and everything, you having to prepare and to put this whole thing down, it's just going to be too much. Son, I love you. I'm going to bless you, but, but we're, not going to be com- we're not going to be coming, David. You know, David's saying, we're not going to be coming, Absalom. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. So he petitions him again. He says, but dad... If you're not going to go and the rest of the family might not go, how about Amnon? Can he come? Now, you would think that David might have a check in his spirit at this point, knowing what has already happened, but, but David's not thinking about the right things, is he? He's not dealing with the sin issue, is he? And so out of sight, out of mind to David. It was easier for David to put it out of his sight, to put it out of his mind, And therefore, for David, it was done. It was over. Sin never works that way. Sin always builds. It corrupts. It destroys. And it leaves a wake of destruction. So he petitions him. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? And I think that's a fair question. But Absalom urged him and said, so let Amnon and all the king's sons go. Okay, so Dad, if you're not going to just let Amnon come, how about Amnon and my brothers and we'll all go together, all of us. And, and so you, Dad, you don't want to go because it's too much. Dad, you stay home, but let my brothers come. All the while that Absalom has this plan, doesn't he? He knows what he's going to do. He's going to take his brother's life. He's going to try to be the redeemer of blood that way or the avenger of blood. But Absalom urged him, and so Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. He's saying, I got your back. He's telling his servants, You you do what I've instructed you to do, I have your back. What should those servants have done? He should have gone to the king. Do you see what's happened here? David's compromised. His sons are compromising. Amnon did. And now Absalom is. Amnon's servants compromised, which is why they walked out of the room when Tamar was there. They know better than that. It was never allowed in the Hebrew culture at that time to ever be alone with someone of the opposite sex, whether she was your sister or not. You were never to be alone like that. And now we see this slippery slope of sin. It just, it, because it, more is caught than taught. David can teach the law. David can go to the law. But he, if he himself is not willing to put himself under the law and to be the example, then his sons learn that same idea as well, don't they? They, they think, well, that's good for the people, but that's not what we do in the monarchy. We're above the law. You've heard that saying, right? You know people like that. They're above the law. It's good for everyone else, but it's not good for them. That's a dangerous place to be. That's always a dangerous place to be. So he's cooking this whole plan up. And so the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each one got on his mule and fled. Now, they didn't know where this was going. You have to understand. They didn't recognize at this point it was just going to stop with Absalom. Their brother was murdering 
their other brother. And at this point, they didn't know where it was going to stop. So they're making haste. They're jumping on their mule, and they're getting out, and they're heading back to Jerusalem. They're going back to town, right? They don't know what's going to happen and what's going on. Their brother's lost, and he's, he's, he's murdering Absalom that way, or uh, Amnon that way. And it came to pass that while they were on the way, the news came to David saying, Absalom has killed, please look at this with me and circle in your Bible, all the king's sons and not one of them. What, what did he receive? A false report. Because again, is that a surprise? I mean, it's all, at this point, we've got sin, we've got the devastation of sin, we've got lies, we've got scheming and plotting and all of this, and it's now all becoming wrapped up in it. And it's just literally evil begetting evil. And that's exactly what happens. Evil begets evil. So the king arose and tore his garments. That, that was a sign of mourning. That's what they would do. They would tear the garments. They would grab uh, dirt or sand or whatever they had in front of them. They'd put it up on their head. And, and that was a, a sign of mourning, deep, deep hurt and pain and mourning. Can you imagine David thinking at this moment? I've tried to put myself in his position, you know, his place there as I, you know, I let the video play in my head. What would that be like to hear that my children, one of my sons took another son's life and, and, and then not getting the correct report, all my sons are dead. I mean, how do you reconcile that? The natural instinct of, of anyone, I mean, anybody who's lost a child, one of the first things they, they go to is what could I have done? What could I have done differently? You know, if it's an auto accident, why did, I, why, why did I not drive them? You know, if they were younger, why did I not drive them to work instead of, you know, letting them drive on their own at night and it's the, one of the first times they're learning to drive at night that way? Or, or why didn't I go with them? Or, or why, did I, why, did not, why didn't I make dinner? They could have stayed home. He could have had the friends over and they all could have been here, you know? Or David's probably thinking, why didn't I go down with them? Remember, because he said, I'm not going to go. Why didn't I go? I'm sure David was flooded with what ifs. He's already lost one child. The baby. And now Amnon. And soon Absalom. When's it going to stop? When's the sin and the destruction of sin going to stop? So all of his servants stood by with the clothes torn. Then Jonadab, this guy, remember the schemer, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. I, I got to ask you a question. How do you think he knew that? He hadn't got word yet. They hadn't got there yet. We're going to read in a minute, the rest of the sons have, are going to arrive and David's going to see the boys and they're going to be coming in. But he doesn't know that yet. How did Jonadab know this? Verse 32, hold your finger there. Turn back again with me in chapter 3 and look at verse 3 again of chapter 13, I meant to say. Verse 3. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very what? Crafty man. Do you see that? And you remember last week I said, hey, if you know people like that, get as far away from them as you can. There's no reason to keep company like that. It's not going to end well. 
Well, when all that went down, even with Amnon engaging in the sin he did, raping his sister, you know, maybe Amnon would have, because he hated his sister, but maybe he would have turned around and something inside, well, why did I listen to you? Get away from me, Jenadab. What are you doing? Why, why did I ever listen to you? I can't believe I did this. But he doesn't. He actually keeps counsel with this person. He actually keeps them around. They, they're, they're having dinner together. They're friends. They're, they're acquaintances. They're gathering together. Again, please hold your finger here and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I really believe the Lord wrote this in here for me. He's written this in here for us. And he's written this in here for Amnon. You know, I, I know what you're saying, Pastor. Obviously, the New Testament wasn't written at that point. But God's word and his counsel, are these things not in the Psalms and Proverbs as well? Have we not learned these things through the experiences of our lives? I mean, we even today, even those that don't know the Bible will walk around and say, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? We, we, we know these idioms and these sayings. But if you look at chapter 15, verse 33, it says, do not be deceived. That's exactly what happens. We, we, we get deceived. We actually believe that, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. My friend's not going to do that. My friend's not going to lie upon me. My friend's not going to bear false witness. They wouldn't do that. My friend's not going to give me bad counsel. He's not going to do that. But God reminds us that evil company corrupts good habits. That's a fact, friends. That's a fact. That's not something that's ambiguous or gray. That is true every single time and all the time. Because we find ourselves in these situations where we know characters like Jinnadab and, 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 you know, get far away. He knew what was going to happen, didn't he? Because while he was close to Amnon, apparently Absalom and him must have also, he must have been playing both sides. Do you see that? How else would he have known? There's no other way we can explain it in scripture. He was playing both sides. I don't need friends, let alone enemies like that. It, evil corrupts. It's one thing when they're talking about somebody else, but then when they begin to turn on you, you don't, that's not gonna happen. God's word never returns void and he never lies. He, he tells us these things to protect us, to keep us out of harm's way. So, you know, as we read here back in chapter 13, he, he shares this. Again, we're not told. I, I don't know how else he would have known this, but he said, you know, look, he, he's not killed all the sons. He just, he just killed Amnon. And please notice that if he was such a friend of Amnon and such a counselor, why didn't he turn to Amnon and go, hey, don't go down there? Isn't that interesting too? We're, there's no loyalty. There's never loyalty with people like that. 
they're self-consumed and it's about them. Do you ever, I mean, as, as we read in scripture, sin is sweet for a time, but then comes destruction. So Jenib, so the son of Shema, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men and the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. So we also learned something here. This was determined from that day. How many days was it? 720 days. Two years. Two years later. So for two years... This man sat on that information, and he did nothing with it. He didn't go to the king with it. He didn't turn around and communicate to Amnon. He didn't try to reconcile the two brothers and say, David, we need, to, we need counseling. We need intervention here. These brothers, David, because you didn't, you know, king, you didn't do anything. They're going to kill each other, and you're going to be without two sons. Now, therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead. David, I don't want you to be upset by this. The rest of the boys are alive. What? What? That, that was this man's rationale of how to comfort the king. Well, it's not as bad as you think. How about it's... How about it wouldn't have been bad? One is too many, right? We say, why, why is... But that's the logic. Do you see the logic of evil and how it perceives things? For only Amnon is dead, David. It's just one of your boys. The other one's the other's alive. You're okay. It's all right. You don't need to mourn. What? And Jenadab's like, yeah, right? That, and I can only imagine David like, what are you talking about? Do, do you see the fault in not only the character, not only the idea of this evil, not only the selfishness and self-centered aspect of this man, but even his counsel to the king in this case is beyond logic. It defies even emotion or common sense. Then Absalom fled. And the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there Many people were coming from the road to the hillside behind him, and Jinnadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said. So it is. See, I told you they're coming. Absalom flees. He goes, But they're, they're, look, they're your sons. They're coming. So it was soon, as he had finished speaking, that the king's sons indeed came, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. Can you imagine... Jonadab right now? Why are you all crying? They're alive. It's just Amnon that's dead. Everybody else got it except for this guy. He was wrecked by his pride. He was wrecked by his, his perspectives. That's exactly what sin does. It consumes you and it destroys you. Please don't ever flirt with your sin. I don't want to ever flirt with my sin. I need to repent and get rid of it. I don't want to flirt with it. I, I can't control it. It controls me. 
So it was, again, as soon as they had finished speaking that the king's sons indeed came and they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Aminahud, king of Gersher, right? So where did he go? He went to Syria, basically. And David mourned for his son every day. And uh, basically where he went is he went down to his family in that area. Remember his grandfather and his mother's side? That's where, that's where they were from. So he basically goes down to his family in Syria and he's staying with them, Absalom is. So Absalom fled and went to Gersher and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had comforted, he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. What does that mean? He, he focused at that point on his living son. He recognized probably his own faults, maybe, possibly, but he knew he could change nothing of it. At that point, Amnon was dead. But there was still something that could be done with Absalom. Sometimes we can dig so much in, especially in relationships and, um, you know, we wrong somebody or they wrong us and we, we get so upset and so angry and we dig in so much and it just creates such heartache and such strife. And you go 40 years, 50 years, 60 years and then that person dies and there's never that opportunity after they're dead to get right with them. Never that opportunity to, to reestablish that koinonia and that fellowship. You know, I pray that we always take that opportunity. As Jesus said, if there's a problem with a brother, whatever you're doing, lay your gift at the altar and go and reconcile to your brother. Because that's peaceful and that's right in God's eyes. Anything else is from the devil. Digging in and holding on no matter how you're wronged. God can heal and restore, can he? I mean, after all, we're saved. <laughs> he healed us and he restored us and he reconciled us to our Father in heaven. That's what he does. That's who he is. And that's who we are. But Absalom flees, and David's longing to go after him. He loves him, but for whatever reason, he, he doesn't. He doesn't actually take that step. He doesn't go down to Syria and get his son. Even though his son had done wrong, even though his son had to, it, it was a capital crime, right? Just like what Amnon, because he had murdered. David should have gone down and gotten him. And they should have, you know, at least made peace And look what's going to happen because of this. Again, it's as God prophesied, says, David, the sword's not going to leave your family. Look what's going to happen. This is going to start what ultimately will lead to King David basically fleeing Jerusalem and hiding out out of fear for Absalom to the point where Absalom then takes that and he goes and he begins to lay with David's concubines and his Wives out to just make a mockery of David that way, which will then ultimately cost Absalom his life. But it's Joab that steps in here. Joab is with David because Absalom's down in Syria for three years. 
and he sees the king every day, and he loves his son, and he longs to be with his son, and you can tell that he's upset and he's hurt. And so Joab <laughs> puts together this whole idea. He says, you know what? He goes and he says to this woman, you come here. He says, I don't want you to anoint yourself with oil. I want you to look very ragged and run down. And I want you to come in. She's wily one. She's a wily one if you read about her. And I want you to play the part here. And what he's going to do is he's going to ensnare David into his own logic and wisdom. And... David's going to make that similar statement like Nathan did. Remember when God did that with Nathan? That is you, David. Well, this woman's, I mean, brazen. This could have cost her her life to find out that she was put up to, to this by Joab. But Joab loves David so much that he wants him to see the right thing is reconciliation here. Get right with your son. Bring your son back. And so Joab, out of his love for King David, will go to him through this woman because he knew King David wouldn't listen to Joab. But when this drama pursues and David's ensnared in it, all of a sudden he makes wise counsel. And then the woman says, now, David, why have you sinned in that right? Can you imagine saying that to the king? I mean, that's brazen. That couldn't have gone over well. I mean, I can only imagine David initially... Who put you, you know, who put you, what are you doing? This seemed familiar. I've been through this with Nathan. Now you too? Well, let's continue in chapter 14. So Joab, the son of Zerah, or Zerias, excuse me, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa, again, that's about a few miles south of Jerusalem. You might remember Amos the prophet was from there. And brought from there a wise woman. She's an actress. And he said to her, please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel and do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. That means he told her what to say. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help me, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. This immediately caught David's attention because in that culture and in that time, when you were widowed, you were on your own and there wasn't social security. There wasn't... Uh, government, different things like that. No, you, quite honestly, it says in Scripture, if you were young enough, you were to go to work and you were to try to reestablish yourself. If you were older, it was actually the church that actually would come, come alongside and, and help you and support you. And, and, and that's how it was done in that culture at that time. But David initially would have, as a father figure, David would have seen this woman and as a king and, and the father that, you know, he would have immediately, oh, you're, he would, his heart would have opened to her. Oh, I'm so sorry. Because he knows what she's been through or what she's been going through as a widow in that culture to fend for herself, which was near impossible in that culture. There's no security. Now, your maidservant had two sons. The two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them. But the one struck and killed him. He committed murder. I wonder if David went, this is a little familiar. Nah, 
can't be. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of him who he killed, and we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left, and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on earth. Now this is very important, because family was security in those days, in the ancient times in the ancient world. And we understand what she's alluding to and what Joab was alluding to. We understand that the punishment was capital. It was a capital crime. It was capital punishment. But in spite of that, David's going to turn around and say, well, well, wait a minute. If this is the only one that's going to propagate your name and provide that security, wait a minute. And And that's what we're going to read here. Then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give you orders concerning you. So he's going to intervene on behalf of her and behalf of the son. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. Um, She's good, isn't she? She's playing this very, very well. Uh, She's basically um, shrewd. She's saying, let the king not know. King, you don't have to do this. Don't you intervene. This is my iniquity. This is my children. This is my sin. Let, let me handle this. Let, the, let you be guiltless. I don't, I don't want to bring this upon you. So the king said, whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you anymore. Puts David on the offense. Do you see how she does that? She gets David's heartstrings, and she's literally toying with them at this point. Then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy anymore lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair on your son shall fall to the ground. He, he gives assurance and a promise. And now, excuse me for one second, I'm going to blow my nose. And now, you know what it's going to be time to do? It's going to be time to spring the trap. And that's what's about to happen. So she's going to get ready to spring this trap. Verse 12. Therefore, the woman said, please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord, the king. And he said, say on. So the woman said, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? That is brazen. Now, all of a sudden, this woman is like, king, this is what you have done. Why would you do such a thing and scheme this way against the people of God? That's quite the accusation. For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty. King, this is what you've done. You have weighed on this very thing for me and found favor in my sight. But with your own son, you didn't even, get, you didn't even engage. You didn't even do anything. Isn't it funny or interesting <laughs> how we can give greater kindness and grace to a pure stranger than we can to a family member or someone close to us. We will actually treat someone better than someone that is the most near and dear to us. And that's what she's calling him on. Is that the king that does not bring his banished one home again? Now it hit home. Now she knows exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about Absalom. 
For we will surely die and become like the water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away. Again, he's saying there's an opportunity to reconcile here, right? Life's short. But God does not take away a life. But he devises a means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. You see, David's in this catch-22 now because David doesn't want to exhibit lawlessness, right? He doesn't want to exhibit that. However, he agrees that, you know, because of the way he judged this for this woman, he basically set precedent. (laughs) And now he's got to follow his own decree. He banished the ones who are not expelled from him. Now, therefore, I have come to speak this thing to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your maid servant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the quest of the maid servant. I really like that. She explains this, and she basically says, David, you're misrepresenting God. David, you're misrepresenting God. What you know to be right, you are not doing for your own family, for yourself, or for the kingdom. But you'll do it for this woman that you just met because your heartstring is pulled. That you will do what is right. Can you imagine how convicting that must have been for David at that moment? Because everything she's speaking is truth, isn't it? Wisdom. Biblical. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, The word of my lord, the king, will now be comforting. For as the angel of God, so is the Lord my king in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord your God be with you. Basically, she's saying, bless the king. She's acknowledging that the king gets discernment from God. She's respecting his authority as king. And she's kind of blessing him and saying, like an angel of God, the comfort that will come for doing the right thing. She's, she's kind of blessing him as, as would be the right way to do it at that point. She laid it down pretty hot. Now she's kind of huh, gently, uh, you know, smoothing things over that way. Again, she's very shrewd, very, very shrewd. Then the king answered and said to the woman, please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, please let my lord, the king, speak. So the king said, and what do you think he's going to ask? Who put you up to this? Is the hand of Joab, and I love it, he knows who, did Joab tell you to do this? Because this is brazen, and this has got Joab written all over it. With you in this? And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord, the king, has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in my mouth, and your maidservant Joab's in the throne area, in the room of the kingdom there. Joab's like, Come on! We had a deal! What are you doing? Be quiet! You know, I can only imagine, look on his face, like, Oh, he knows at this point. To bring about this change of affairs in your servant Joab has done this thing, right? But my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of the angel of God. She's good. To know everything that is in the earth. And the king said to Joab, all right, I have granted this thing. Go therefore and bring back the young man Absalom. David's getting it now. He's got it. Now he's going to take action. 
He could have done that three years ago, though. And, and I say, thank God that, that Absalom hadn't died yet or something had happened. And as I look at you tonight, I just I want to pause here and just take a moment. If you've wronged somebody or somebody has wronged you, I want you to take this moment, one to first and foremost, for forgive them. Forgive them. Because we're all guilty of sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we've all wronged someone and someone has wronged us. That's, that's simply a fact. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, seek reconciliation. That's why this is preserved for us in the scriptures. This is why this woman was sent there and Joab was using this. And, and she says, even God, but these things are decreed before you, David. No one can go to the left or right. Your, your wisdom is good. Your wisdom is sound. What you said to do for my son in this example I used, the woman, how would you not do it for your own son? And, and I would say to us, say, how would we not do that for our own family or friends? Maybe we have prodigals that have been waiting for a call. But maybe there's prides in the way. Maybe there's a reason where we, we, we think because we're right, we, we can't turn around and have an outstretched arm. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let the sun go down. You never know when you're going to have the opportunity again, if you even have that opportunity. There's nothing guaranteeing a tomorrow for any one of us here. Maybe you have a mother or father you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe you've had a fight or an argument years and years ago and you haven't even picked up the phone. A, son, a sister, a brother, a son, a daughter. Somebody in your life. Don't let the sun go down. You know what? It doesn't matter who's right. Pray for repentance and a true heart and go and seek reconciliation above all things. You have to allow people to have that opportunity to come back to you. You know, in churches, it's hard because people come and go, right? Most people understand this is a home and this is, this is home, right? If you, we look at it from a biblical sense, this isn't something we just come and go. This is, this is home. We dig in. This is biblical. This is what's always meant to be. But at times, there are situations where that happens. Every time a family decides, for whatever reason, a season or something like that, I always want them to know that my arms are open wide, Every pastor's here, everybody's arms are open wide, that anybody can come. And God's arms are open wide with him. That no matter what we've ever done, no matter how we've fallen away or, you know, backslidden or whatever, we can come right to Jesus and his arms are open wide for us. He's longing for us to come home. He's so in love with us. And I just, I don't, I don't want to, you know, it's kind of like David's counsel. It's so easy for us to see other people's sin and go, I cannot believe they did that. Because our sin looks so much better on other people, doesn't it? I've just come to that conclusion. My sin looks better on you all than it ever looks on me. And that's a fact. That's, that's just my carnality. But the reality is, do I see you as Jesus Christ sees you? 
Do I see my brothers and sisters as Jesus sees them? Or am I still looking with these glasses that are temporal and so inferior? As Jesus tells us in Corinthians, and I love how he says this, the idea is he gives revelation to Paul. He says, one day you will be known as you have always been known. A mere dimly lit. One day you will see as you have been seen. And we will begin to realize how God has always seen us with a perfect and holy righteousness. We don't know how much time we have. I'll tell you what we don't have time for. Infighting, division, destruction, carnality. We don't have time for any of that. So David speaks these things. The woman blesses. Then Joab gets involved. And the king said to Joab, all right, I have granted this thing. Go therefore and bring back the young woman of Atap, of, I'm sorry, the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell to the ground in his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. You know what? Honestly, this is one of Joab's better moments. You know, there's some things that Joab has done that, man, I mean, he was a murderer. You know, he was, he was, you know, he got, had guile in him at certain times. But in this moment, he loved David. He had such a beautiful, pure, and perfect love for David that he was willing to risk his own life to help David see and do what was right, what David couldn't even see right before him, but he could see on this widow that would walk through the door. We all need friends like that, real friends, real brothers, real sisters. costs you something to do that, doesn't it? It costs you something to be invested that way. And Joab said, today your servant knows that I have found favor in the sight of my Lord, O king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant, because he knew ultimately that would make the king happy too. So Joab arose and went to Gersher, and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem. He goes down to Syria and grabs him. And the king said, let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Now, what David does here doesn't make a whole lot of sense. David keeps him at an arm's distance. What he's publicly doing is David is saying, I have brought you back, but I have not reconciled you publicly. He will do that. But he brings him back. He allows him to come back into Jerusalem, but he doesn't because all the people knew that Absalom had fled, but he had not publicly so the people knew it, so God knows it, everybody. He had not publicly turned around and restored Absalom. We can do that too, can't we? We can only go halfway. Now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. Right? So he's handsome, he's vain, he's dangerous. You can start to see the makeup of this guy. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every cut, he cut it because it was heavy on him. And when he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels. It's about five pounds, according to the king's standards. So I just want to, look, if you do this, that ain't right. I'll tell you right now. What he, did, he cuts his own hair and he's like, that is some good hair. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's measuring his hair. He's like, 
I'm saying that's about 4.8. No, no, wait a minute. Five pounds. That's five pounds right there. And he's so prideful that he's like admiring his hair. He's like, I can just picture him, you know, doing one of those things. You know what I mean? Like he's got this long hair, you know, just, I don't even know how to do that. You know, but you, you get the point. I don't have that problem. Right. But, uh, or that blessing, but he does that, you know, does the whole thing. And, you know, he's weighing his hair like that. I mean, who does that? If you do that, don't do that. Don't do that if you do that. Tabsalon were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. So how many years has it been total? Five years since he's seen his dad. Three years previous when he was in Syria, plus the two years he's there. Five years. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come to him. He's not responding. You see, he should have met with him. He should have been willing to see him, but he's avoiding him. There's no communication there whatsoever. So even Absalom, who's now trying to do the right thing, right? He's sort of being shunned. Just think about how difficult that is. He's, he's, he's been, why did you bring me back here if you're not even going to give me the opportunity? It's, it's worse, Dad. It's worse because now I'm close and I can't see you. It's even worse. You know? You ever get so upset with somebody in your family and you're in the house, right? And you're living together, obviously, and um, you get so upset with each other. You know, one goes to one bedroom, the other goes to the other bedroom. You close, you know, the door gets closed. And you're like, it's, wor it's terrible, isn't it? Because you're like, you can hear them in the other room and they're there. It's like, what? Because you, you know, but if you had to go travel for business or something like that in your way, you know, you can, refo you can focus on other things. But when they're right there in your presence or they're right around the corner, you're constantly reminded of this. Epsilon's constantly reminded the fact that his dad's right over there. And he's sending for his dad. He's sending to have an audience, and his dad's not giving him an audience. There's, there's no communication. Please understand how we can do that to other people when we cut other people off like that. Maybe we don't mean to, but we can do that. We should always be willing to talk. We should always be willing to reason. Come, as the scripture says, let us reason together. Should be never a reason we have to run. What is that? Can't pick up a phone. We can't call. We got to run. So he said to his servants, "See, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. <laughs> so Joab's going to take matters into his own hands." He says, "You know, Joab's field's right next to mine. There's a whole lot of barley. He says that stuff burns. He's go set it all on fire. I bet you Joab will come then. We'll get Joab's attention then. How about it, right, guys? That's good wisdom. What?" This is how he's thinking. I mean, this is the guy that's weighing his own hair. I mean, he, clearly he's got a problem. <laughs> and Absalom's, Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's, Absalom's house, and he said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Look, I sent, you, I sent to you saying, Come here, so that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Syria, Gersher? It would have been better for me to there, stay there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. What he's really saying is, Let me be restored. That's what he's saying here. But if, the iniquity, if there's iniquity in me, let him excuse me. 
So Joab went to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself and his face to the ground before the king. What's he doing? He's humbling himself, right? But is he really humble or is he just faking this? Well, we're going to read on in chapter 15. He's just faking this. This isn't, I don't believe at least this is true humility. He's crafty. He came to the king and bowed himself to his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. What is that? That's a public restoration. He's now restored him publicly. The very thing that he wanted because he had come to the king in humility. The king receives him that way. But to me, it's just a constant reminder of not to repay evil with evil. I think that's the biblical principle here that we pull out. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, and we'll close there tonight. You know, this is God's principle of how as Christians and born-again believers we're ought to live. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21 here. The reality is, friends, we're all going to get wronged. Every one of us is going to get wronged in our life. But how do we handle that? What opportunity will God use that for that maybe we can actually be a witness? Because, again, more is caught than taught. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Repay no evil for evil. That, that's a command. He said, repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. You can look at 2 Corinthians 3, 2 if you want more detail on that aspect. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So what is God saying? He's desiring unity and harmony. He says, as much as possible, live peaceably. <coughs> Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather... Give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. Who is wrath for? We've been reading about this on Sundays, haven't we? Because we've been in 1 Thessalonians. Is wrath for the bride of Christ? No, we studied it. We looked at 18 different verses. We studied every single passage on wrath in that context, whether it was in salvation or if it was in regard to sanctification and what was, who the wrath was poured out on, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. So what is he saying here when he says, rather give place to wrath? He's saying that person who's wronged you. The idea here is we know that wrath is not to be poured out on the believer, right? So he's saying that believers should never be in a circumstance or situation where we're not forgiving each other, where we're not reconciling. If we're not doing that, that there's, a, there's a problem there. He's always calling that out. What, what's going on there? What's happening? Because that person's acting like a, an unbeliever then. They're acting like an unbeliever. They're acting in the world. Right? And, and I'm, look, I'm not pretending. There's, there's times where, you know, somebody wrongs you and you, you can get angry. I, my flesh can, oh, you know, I can really be upset. And I'm so thankful to the Lord for these passages because I come to these passages and I read them. And boy, they just, they literally just undo me. You know, I'm just literally undone. I'm literally poured out like a drink offering. I'm just, oh, okay, Lord. I was about to take something upon me that doesn't belong to me. I'm a born-again believer in Christ. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have been made new. I was actually thinking about doing this the way I would have done this 
in my BC days before Christ. But these things are not for me anymore. These things have nothing on me. And that's a good reminder for me. I, I, I go back to this passage. I love that. He says, Beloved, do not avenge yourself. So, so if he's telling us not to avenge ourselves, rather to give place wrath, is written, vengeance is mine. Whose is it? God's. Do you know who your best defense is? Every single time I've ever had a situation come up, whether it was accusatory or different things, the pastors have been here. We, we've all seen this. You know what we do? God is our defense. And every single time, God has proven it. God has gone before and showed light. Or it's brought, some accusations brought, and the truth gets brought forward, and then the lies exposed. Every single time time. It has worked that way. When I leave it to the Lord, when I let the Lord be my defense, it's never failed me. It's never failed me in any aspect of my life. It won't fail you either. It's God's word. It never returns void. These are promises from our Father. But it does require us to not walk in the flesh, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We must walk in the Spirit. That's the only way we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5.16. He says, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Wow. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. The idea behind that is Proverbs 25.21, if you want to understand what he means. Do not overcome evil or do not overcome do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good that's a great word to finish tonight do not overcome evil with evil but you be overcome you overcome evil with good you do good in spite of evil you do good in spite of wrong talking ill will you continue to stand in the right and and you know, I love to go through these teachings and God is so gracious to bring these things because I think we all, need, we all need remembrance on these, don't we? I know I do. I need remembrance on these passages and, and there's no coincidence. Uh, you know, things in my life in the last few weeks, Lord brings these things forward every time. He gives me action sermons. Just as I'm about to teach something, something happens like this and it's like, wow, thank you, Lord. And maybe you found that too. Maybe there's going to be something that happens in the next week or two in your life. And you're going to be at a crossroad. You're going to be at a, a Y in the road. And you're going to have a decision to make. Will you do it God's way? Or will you do it man's way? Can we have the worship team come forward? We'll have a closing song. I'm always encouraged with God's protection for the flock. His protection for his children. His desire to go before us. I'm always amazed that he loves me so much in spite of who I am, in spite of the things I do, in spite of my carnality and my thinking. And I'm always encouraged by that because he's a good, good God. Let's pray and then we'll close with a song. Will you stand with me, please? If you're able. Get some of the blood flowing in your legs again. <laughs> Father, as you've overheard tonight, Lord, we, we, we're hearing your word, your anointed word, loud and clear. 
God, we do pray for peace. We do pray for harmony. We do pray, God, for strength to live these ordinances out, these commandments and statutes. Lord, you told us those who love you keep your commandments and statutes. That's one of the ways that, Lord, we know that, uh, that you know that we love you because of the way we do and the things we do, the fruit. Are we keeping your commandments and statutes? Lord, I just pray for forgiveness. If there's any aspect in our hearts here tonight, my heart, Lord, first, if I've got unforgiveness or if I've got anger or something, Lord, I'm just going to lay it down here tonight and I'm never going to pick it up again, Lord. And I pray that for my brothers and sisters here. And Lord, I pray that you'll put on the hearts of your people that, Lord, if there's somebody that's been wronged, whether it was you or them or, or however it's transpired, Lord, you will be their defense. But they should always be willing to keep the door of communication open, God. And I pray you'll do that. I pray you'll, you'll draw, you'll reconcile, and you'll bring a perfect and holy peace. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for your truth. Thank you that these things are preserved for us as living examples, as you tell us in 1 Corinthians 10, that we don't have to make these mistakes. We don't have to follow after these things of Absalom because you've shown us a better way and given us a better covenant. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for all these things, and we just bless you here tonight, God. We love you. And we pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Um, our